the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Hello there and welcome back to the Agostino Zinga show with I, your host Agostino Zinga and this is episode number 649. This is episode number 649 of the Agostino Zinga show with I, your host Agostino Zinga and I hope you're doing well wherever this podcast may find you. I hope you are doing splendid. I really, really do. How am I? Yeah, all good, all things considered. You know how it is. Putting one foot in front of the other and just keep trucking on. Just keep trucking on. So for the past weekend or so, where have I been up to? I have just got back from an absolutely splendid, sun-soaked, Caribbean-esque holiday and trip and vacation to Berlin for one weekend. It was so hot, so warm. I had to wear the smallest shorts, the smallest vest, um, the skinniest sandals. And I was sipping on Mai Tais and whatnot and playing, flipping football on the beach. It was amazing. <laughs> Clearly not clearly not it was the opposite it was rainy it was sleety it was snowy it was all those things wrapped into one and even more um you know it's kind of a common held view that berlin is definitely way colder than it is here in london if that's at all possible um it's probably a lot more grayer also i've always said i think it's probably one of the most ugliest european cities out there in terms of to the naked eye unless you're into graffiti unless you're into you know derelict sort of buildings <laughs> unless you're um, um into you know just you know sh shabbily looking you know decor in general which tends to kind of belie what lies on the inside but for the most part unless you're in the city center it's not the most beautiful place on the eye in my humble opinion so with that being said it was still a pretty um, decent trip i have to be honest with that and i did have a lot of good fun over there um i specifically went over there for two things i went to go and see i went to i went for the sole reason of trying to go to paloma bar for the powerhouse which i think this time around was disco how disco hour that um finn johansson puts on there at paloma i was also planning to go to um toy tonics party at telomania at oxy and i was also planning to go to cocktail do more at club ost which i actually bought a ticket for i ended up only going to two of those events <laughs> so unfortunately the one i bought the ticket for i didn't go to which is absolutely annoying uh, the amount of money that i wasted over the years on buying tickets ahead of time is absolutely legendary but i also knew it was going to be a roadblock so i had to kind of guarantee my entry and judging by what i've heard online and the comments i'm reading and stuff the cocktail do more party was crazy good but the garderobe the flipping cloakroom situation was really out of control and if you know one thing about people that rave over there in berlin they take their cloakrooms very very seriously you have to make sure that those things are operational they're running smoothly because people are arrived in there in their lukes they want to get them off they want to fling off the jackets they want to take off the capes they want to do all that stuff in minutes so they can be on the dance floor and twirl around and have a great time so they take those cloakrooms seriously and they don't really believe in what we do here in london like i realized like 
a lot of people over there are quite i guess i wouldn't say cheap but they you know they, they, they watch their money right they're quite mindful of how they spend their peas so you don't really see a lot of people like jumping into ubers or whatnot especially not the ones i was kind of hanging around with or i was sort of near to but one thing they don't mind spending money on his cloakrooms they don't really believe in the idea of like folding your jacket up and putting it underneath a speaker or leaving it behind a chair they want to put their stuff even if it's just you know a jacket they bought in a vintage shop for like a euro they want to make sure it's in a cloakroom so they can collect it at the end of the night and be in kind of peace of mind as they're dancing on the dance floor which is somewhat understandable so going back to the nights that i had over there i ended up going over there obviously for the weekend friday to monday um like an idiot i booked the worst flight ever for the monday which kind of you know was a bit risky and did end up me having to rush at the airport sweating as i got into the plane because i got there just in time <clears throat> but i do have to advise anybody if you are going over there for a boozy weekend and you do plan to go to Bergheim or something for the Saturday or the Sunday and you want to leave, you know, maybe, I don't know, just before it closes at 6am on a Monday or something, do plan to get a trip or a flight back after 6am. So try and get something, I don't know, at 12pm, 6pm, um, whatever you can do on a Monday, as opposed to what I did, which was 6am, which kind of essentially knocked out my Sunday. I couldn't have any ability to go and rave or go crazy on a Sunday because I know I had to be up at 5am in the morning. So, oh no, I had to be up even before that. I had to be up at like three and get to the airport before five which was absolutely crazy so i ended up having to do that but then um i ran into some issues with some accommodation because for whatever reason the airbnb's situation over there isn't as good as it once was so i had to kind of split my time between staying one night at the sunflower hostel and then the other three consecutive nights i guess staying in this airbnb on the, the two consecutive nights actually one day um staying in this airbnb um sunflower hostel is definitely one of the better options to go for in terms of hostels in the area just because of this its location mainly um the hostel itself isn't the greatest you know there's you know there's no lift there stairs everywhere carrying your luggage can be a bit of a pain in the ass um the rooms are decent enough i ended up getting a private room because it was only one day so it wasn't too much of a bother and i think it was like 50 euros or something so again not the most expensive and not the cheapest but you know pretty much decent um but obviously the really big selling point of sunflower hostel is that it's literally right down the road from Berghain. it's literally like maybe like five minute walk from there so it's a pretty handy place to go to if you do plan to go to Berghain and Berghain alone and obviously it's quite in a centrally type of area so you can get to different sort of parts of places all around um, berlin and whatnot so it makes it kind of handy to kind of get to from an airport because it's near and also kind of get and it also makes it handy to kind of go back home actually because the location is also um, easy enough to get the transport um, straight to the airport directly if you need it because I think there's an S-Bahn that runs from the station just a bit further out from Sunflower I think it's like Wasserstrasse or something I forgot the name of it but I'm pretty sure that S-Bahn takes you all the way to Berlin Brandenburg Airport if you need that so that's pretty handy so I end up doing that and um, yeah had a good time I'm not gonna lie so the first night obviously I went to um, the Italomania party uh, by Toy Tonics, which was really, really fun. And if anything, you know, it kind of gives it away the kind of music that they were playing there, essentially Italo Disco, um, you know, sounding music there from Toy Tonics. And um, Toy Tonics is a label and a collective that I kind of got familiar with uh, because, if I'm not mistaken, I got 
playing um some of the Capote, of the capote tracks and capote also happened to be the founder of um toytonic so i kind of got familiar with their sound that way and if anything i just liked the vibe of what they were doing as a collective and putting on parties and raves as well when i found out later they do put on fire and waves because they kind of reminded me a little bit of the heady days of like horse meat disco or even more so they reminded me of this time when i used to go out to these parties called love fever that were really popular here in london for a bit but they kind of you know stopped happening because unfortunately the found the promoters uh this duo um one guy called alex bradley and i forgot the other guy's name but they essentially fell out and you know love fever was kind of no more or it didn't really continue as the way we kind of remembered it but the reason why that part was great was because they kind of adopted this kind of david mancuso type of vibe you know paradise love garage whatever it may be um where they would basically you know bring in these really bespoke sound systems productions um you know decor into these spaces and transform them overnight into these really amazing kind of wanderlust utopia type things right we can kind of unplug from the regular scheduled life and obviously the music was key and paramount they'd book really interesting people they wouldn't reveal lineups um and it would just be like a really sexy grown-up dancey fun affair and considering what the parties i was going to that were really kind of grungy warehousey type of you know big boots black bomber jacket type of affair it was quite refreshing to go somewhere like that where everyone was just having fun and kind of letting loose and i really liked toytonic's approach to it because it kind of reminded me of that and it kind of just felt like what you describe as um, a quintessential dance party like people just ready there to go crazy and to dance so that was great and obviously the second thing i went to go to why i went to go to the party was to visit this new venue called oxy which i only had heard about because if i'm not mistaken they if i'm not mistaken the club kind of opened around the pandemic times lockdown when berlin were having issues in terms of having clubs reopen the only way they could get around it was to make sure that the club was sort of like an open you know had like an open space like a gardening type of thing and um oxy basically had that because it's got different rooms and it's got like this it looks like a patio but essentially it's just like a an in it's kind of like an indoor room on the outside with like a canopy over it but it kind of does feel like it's inside if you get what i mean it's hard to describe it but they kind of got around it that way and i kind of knew about the club because of that and obviously they've got some interesting and cool bookings and whatnot so i thought let me kind of kill two birds of one stone go to a toy tonics event in their in their actual home country or in their home city whatever and also go visit this oxy bar so i was really amped to go to number one i was really happy that i actually did buy the tickets beforehand not super beforehand i think i just bought them the day before i actually left because as we got to there the queues were absolutely crazy um, outside Oxy. Luckily, this time around, they had two separate queues. They had one queue for people that were paying on the door and one people for people that had tickets. But still, it was a roadblock because there were tons of people coming every like 10 minutes or so from the guest list and trying to jump in at the front. People were cutting in line to join their friends in the queue. It was a bit of pandemonium. So clearly, there was energy in the air that this was going to be a good and fun night. And it was just nice to see people in the queue who just generally looked like they were up to have a bit of a laugh. No one was dressing all black. No one was taking stuff too seriously. Everyone was laughing and joking. It was the first probably Berlin queue I've been in where people are actually talking. I'm so used to being in flipping and Bergheim queues where essentially the conversations start at the right at the back next to the, you know, next to the spetty or the, the place that sells the food and whatnot. But as you get to the gates or the barriers, suddenly everyone turns into a mute and no one wants to say a word anymore. So that was clearly a little bit refreshing to kind of see that happening in real time. Um, so everyone kind of having a laugh in that way, but still had to wait outside for like an hour or so to get in but once we got to the front of the queue 
kind of quickened up a little bit and then as we're just about to come and get our t- tickets checked the bouncer kind of comes and you know basically shouts at the top of his voice that there's no more tickets available at the flipping box office and only tickets are entries are going to be allowed in which was absolutely so crushing people that are in the queue um but you know it kind of is what it is but kind of came at a good time um security not too deep in terms of getting in um in terms of door selection i guess because they had tickets already that kind of made it help but still a lot of these berlin kind of establishments even if they do sell tickets they do really make it clear in the descriptions of the events that a ticket doesn't guarantee your entry kind of thing so that was obviously um, nice that i was able to get in there was no kind of trouble in that regard then once you kind of get in straight as you walk in i said actually oxy actually yeah, just to kind of paraphrase this because i'm not really sure what the vibe is like because for whatever reason for whatever reason you, you we all know the reason why but berlin companies in general are very strict in terms of no photo no video policy and they all make sure they cover your phone before you get in then they all take responsibility to cover your phone for you like um, when we were in the queue they had us they had people pass along seller tape with the stickers that you can stick on your phone but also before we walked in the bouncers individually were double checking and reapplying stuff on there so they take responsibility to make sure your phones are covered cool so I'm not too sure if that means that you shouldn't describe anything that happens on the inside or what the place looks like or whether it just means you shouldn't have any video and not kind of invade people's personal in private space or privacy, whatever it may be. I don't know. But I'll just describe it in kind of vague generalities. Um, but essentially, when you walk in, the kind of garderobe is there. They have two stations that you can kind of leave your jacket in and your belongings, whatnot. It's a pretty easy system. You know the deal with that one. But the actual layer of Oxy is the interesting part about it. It's loads of different rooms, loads of these little kind of pockets of spaces essentially they've got two dance floors maybe three if you count the outside space and then they have these little rooms to kind of like a dark room um another room that's kind of like a half dark room because the doors can't close there's no like because there's a dark room they have that's got um boxes with like curtains you can close and then they've got a dark room that you can't it's just like a box kind of like similar to like with the face that you see in berlin or in Bergheim where it's like a box but it's got like a slit like a hole you can walk in but it doesn't close at all so there's kind of you just rest out and relax and whatnot but the most interesting part about it that i really liked was its little cocktail bar area they've got towards the back that is essentially its own little thing so you can go there and just like and it's kind of brightly lit and there's like nice cushions and chairs and whatnot and whatever to sit down on there's even bar stores to sit on at the bar if you want to and just have a drink you don't want to do anything else with dance or maybe you want to hear the music come through the system but you just want to have a drink at the bar you can do so and i absolutely love it i think that's absolutely amazing so that was pretty cool to see that vibe and the cocktails of the bar were really nice. I think I had an oxy mule. That was like a ginger beer, spicy type of thing affair that I really had a good, good kind of, you know, swig on, on a couple of those. It got my little pretty heels on the dance floor. I started shocking out. But the main dance floor was the really amazing part that I kind of had to like stress and really kind of talk about because I thought that was absolutely amazing. And I think when I walked in at the time, again, I don't, I'm not really too familiar with the DJs that kind of play, you know, under the Teutonics uh, banner. Obviously, I'm familiar with Capute because, um, that's the person I obviously got um kind of knowledge of toy tonics through his productions and obviously him being the owner kind of makes more sense of kind of knowing who he is but in general i think what they've done a good job of is kind of just people trusting the overall brand so i went mostly because of the brand toy tonics and what they're about and what they represent and know it would be a good time as opposed to thinking oh i want to go see a particular person play but i do remember when i did roll in 
this guy was playing they daniel monaco and he was absolutely destroying legitimately destroying and i've got a clip that's coming up hopefully in a few minutes i've taken a few clips out of me at the oxy and i think the first two clips or little sound bites you hear from my voice notes that i recorded there will be tunes that daniel monaco was playing and you probably hear me hooting and hollering and yee-hawing in the background like an italian tourist it's absolutely cringy but it is what it is i am who i am so when i walked in that was happening and the vibe inside the main dance floor was electric. It obviously helps that in all Berlin clubs, for the most part, they will have a de dedicated, um, uh, what, what do you call them? I think they're called AV, right? The person that does all the lighting and whatnot and the smoke machines and whatnot. They have a dedicated person handling that. So that was going off amazing. They've got all these like amazing like X's on the roof, essentially kind of going back to the name Oxy, that kind of like these light beams that light up in a certain way. The smoke that comes out is insane. It was such an amazing vibe. People dancing, electricity in the air, people shocking out, moving around. It was just such a good vibe. And in general, you saw way more people out there like legitimately making an effort to dress up. Like a lot of people that you would regularly see maybe in like you know traditional techno parties were trying to put on you know some disco leggings on maybe a boob tube maybe you know all the lads i saw they were wearing their kind of festival shirt you know the ones with, with patterns on it that boys wear when they go to fucking festivals <laughs> they had all those on and whatnot and just generally just you know having a bit more fun with what they wear and clearly having a bit more fun on the dance floor and things are too seriously the amount of people that i saw on the dance floor you know sucking each other's faces off was also a good sign that the party was popping there was i'm, I'm sure most of them were couples but there were a lot of people that were finding love under the flipping x's or flipping oxy on that dance floor while flipping daniel monaco and co were absolutely slaying on the flipping decks so that was absolutely great then i went into the second room for a bit also second room is maybe maybe design wise better than the first one because the djs are essentially in this mad little cage thing that kind of reminds me of the cores back in the day but it's a cage that's kind of cylindrical and square and you can walk around it and then it's got a then they've got benches on the back you can sit down on and the walls are covered in the beams like it's just a really cool space how they've kind of put it together really really nice and that room was crazy good too they were shelling in there but i think most people wanted to see the main actor they were kind of staying in the main room but the second room was also kind of completely going off and um, the nice guy that was playing there who i wish i remember his name but he did give me a track id for a track that i really liked called um, call me Mr. Telephone Answering Machine sorry call me Mr. Telephone Answering Service which I'm going to play as my tune today to the end of the show so if you want to listen to that then definitely check out the rest of the show to see the clip that he kind of the track ID he kind of gave me um, but that was also amazing so in, in essence what I really liked about it like I said I think it was just nice to be able to go to Berlin and listen to that kind of music in that city because it's so dominated by techno it's so dominated by that music like that's what you kind of know Berlin for and to be honest like you know maybe it's a bit of a waste of time I'm going to a place like Berlin only to listen to disco because you can listen to that anywhere but I did like to kind of listen to Itello disco for the most part um, you know and what I would describe just broadly as dance music I don't even just describe it as disco in the house which is kind of a loose genre you know genres that kind of have you on listing for the event I just think it was just good dance music that was played throughout the entirety of the night and I think it ended at about 6 or 8am I think I'm not too sure yeah 8am sorry I think I left at about 6 or something so not too late and um, yeah had a great time absolutely amazing really really fun and if anything it really really inspired me to um think about throwing my own event again and doing something because i've always wanted to kind of get back into promoting as you guys have known you know i used to do 
a pretty popular um, club night here in London at the now defunct club called Yellow Bike called So Special. That was really good to begin. You know, it kind of started up. We kind of mean the guy that kind of set up the premise was kind of to push and promote, you know, Funky House. And that was a real big thing. And to kind of introduce it to a quote unquote white audience, essentially, basically the hipsters and get them to be on it. And we kind of did a good job of doing that. But then over time, we just turned into just put on a good party, a fun party, book our friends and book people would like to see. And we always kind of did a good job of doing that and kind of, you know, doing our good job of kind of decorating a room with posters and shit and all that sort of naffy stuff but it was always a good time to do an event and obviously it was a good chance for me also because I got a chance to um, DJ that's the first time I got to actually DJ at an actual club because I had to kind of warm up because we didn't have enough money to pay for warm up DJ so we had to just figure it out ourselves and I ended up kind of trying to use kind of CDJs for the first time actually burning CDs and whatnot and trying to make that work so I haven't done one of those in ages a long long time if anything I'll be trying to push myself to get booked as a individual DJ myself which has been a little bit more difficult than I expected it to be but another way to kind of get ahead of the queue is just to throw your own night and in that way suddenly you then become somebody that's kind of in demand so that might be an option to go forward and the reason why I thought that'd be quite interesting because I think you know what actually might have also made me kind of interested in Toytonics was the actual logo of Toytonics right is interesting because if I'm not mistaken if I actually click their promoter tag here hopefully it has a logo listed on there let me just double check here before it loads up on the screen yeah, there we go yeah so this logo from toytonics that they have here of this uh blacksmith looking type of dude illustration kind of banging on a vinyl right it was a pretty cool logo it oddly enough reminds me a little bit of what i had going on with this little instagram sorry soundcloud account that i set up for my little you know um nondescript non-existing flipping record label called persistence right and if anything i should have maybe had it at an angle i maybe should have had the person pushing the boulder up a hill because if you can't see the image essentially it's an image of a guy pushing a boulder that i kind of you know stylized and kind of cropped around and made myself i kind of i think the two separate images that i kind of put together on photoshop and stuff i'm pretty sure i got the original psd file somewhere but that maybe should be up a hill but that was kind of the idea i had about it and maybe i should kind of use this going forward as my um nondescript dance party night going forward because i got that inspired from what toy tanks are doing and you know those are, that's probably something that i'm probably going to explore going on going forward because um i don't know it was just nice to see i think maybe as well my idea about it was kind of skewed because i think the popularity of the night might be because of just how long established they've been around uh, maybe because people love the djs just because it's maybe just obviously because i think i was thinking i was on a dance floor thinking maybe a lot of people just wanted a reef a kind of a change from the regular schedule programming because that entire weekend was pretty techno mad there was an event happening at if i'm not mistaken oh was it called i think rso there was obviously cocktail do more happening but there was a lot of techno heavy nights happening on that weekend so people maybe just wanted a bit of respite from that regular do 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 which i can kind of understand so maybe you know the reception and why it was so busy was more to do with what they're doing and obviously the lack of what the, of what they're about being in a city or just maybe there's an appetite for it overall that i can maybe latch onto as well and do my own way here in london i don't really know i'll kind of figure it out as i go along but couldn't quickly play a clip here that kind of features a couple of the mixes early on as i was arriving there as i said before i'm pretty sure these clips are of daniel monaco playing i'm pretty sure because that's who i saw as i walked in because i think i walked in about 1 or 2 a.m if i'm not mistaken so definitely i think it was daniel monaco that was slaying on the dance floor as i was flipping arriving in that venue um but if it isn't whoever was playing you absolutely smashed it so here this clip um taken from the toy tonics event a couple of voice notes that i probably put together again i'm hoping 
this is okay you're not allowed to take videos or whatever so i just recorded this kind of you know with the phone in my pocket and whatnot and just kind of just so i could have a, an audio um field recording of my kind of vibe as i was in there but hopefully you guys enjoy it as i play this clip now from when i was inside there let me just get up on your screen <laughs> you get an idea of what happened you get an idea of what happened absolutely splendid had a great time cannot complain had an amazing time um obviously you know getting out of those places is also a bit of a blast as well you know easy to deal with going out getting your cloak getting your 
jacket from the cloakroom, all the bouncers saying bye and safe travels and whatnot as you're leaving, you know, to make sure that you're okay. Grabbing, get, jumping on a taxi or getting on a train is pretty easy because they're all around places. Or even, the, actually, the other thing to mention as I kind of wrap this up, um, it's quite, obviously, I think transport-wise, we're sort of spoiled here in the, in London, mostly. Like, there's loads of stations near things. And I think the maximum time you have to walk, maybe it's five minutes. But in Berlin, it's kind of a, it's, it kind of feels more longer because the roads are so straight there's always kind of you know exits everything's kind of like it's like um uh horizontal and vertical lines and whatnot right kind of like a grid system but it just feels a bit further but i think it is further things are probably more spaced apart so essentially it works really well it works really good after a night out because you're kind of forced to kind of decompress by having a kind of brisk walk out in the cold so you kind of get to sober up a little bit and chill kind of get your temperature down before you go back home and obviously going back to a hostel at night you probably need to have your temperature kind of lowered a little bit because you're going to be in a building full of thousands of people again so you kind of need to chill even though i was in the private room it's so important to kind of have that level of kind of you know down sort of like down regulating yourself so that's quite nice that kind of ability to do so so i quite like that so i had to be able walk you know chilled out a little bit you know popped into a spare you got myself a bottle of water and one a packet of crisps and lays and just kind of went back home like i had an absolutely splendid time i cannot complain about that event whatsoever so if you do um have your eye on an event i think they're meant to be if i'm not mistaken toy tonks i think are doing a night at the jazz club or something like that if don't 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 um don't quote me on that one but i think they have a night happening in the uk in the jazz club i think they have something else they're doing in manchester in the uk so if you're in the uk and you are kind of interested i definitely recommend you check out toy tonics on ra and check out their events i do recommend checking them out i think they're doing a special event in munich every friday for the next few months or something which is pretty sick they've got this kind of long-term residency going on over there and you know munich as well another city in germany if you want to kind of discover which i kind of maybe even might do as a little bit of techno tourism to kind of go and check out so definitely that's something that's going to be on the cards but yeah big up toy tonics it definitely was a great part he definitely has now inspired me to maybe try and do my own thing here in london again so that's definitely a trip that i was happy that i definitely took but one thing i was a bit bummed out about and a little bit disappointed by was burgermeister I know, man. Like, I've had, like, I think the issue with Burgermeister, maybe it's the same thing with just eating, you know, too many kebabs out there in general. I think you can never replicate the first time. It's sort of like taking your first bit of MDMA, right? It's all like smoking your first joint. It's all like having your first line, drinking your first bottle of Cronenberg or Red Stripe. There's no way you can replicate that first feeling again. And I think because I have so many calling amazing kind of memories tied to my little weekend trips that I'd go to Berlin and whatnot with my friends or go on my own and a lot of it kind of centers around going to Burgermeister or maybe sitting outside the Burgermeister in Coppers at all while I'm drinking some cheap beer that I bought in the river next door or I'm talking to some bums who are trying to fleece me out of my money or I'm talking to some black guys who you know just want to find out what I'm about and what I'm doing here it's I've still got some good memories about it and the thing that I loved the most about Burgermeister about the burgers in general over there was that it kind of reminded me a little bit of like what a luxed up version of a five guys burger is right five guys burger for the most part are quite sticky and kind of you know compact things that are very 
tasty in that regard right but they kind of remind me of like a quintessential burger because there's not many craziness about it especially if you add your own condiments there's not really much else you can kind of fuck up in that regard it just kind of does what it says in a tin and obviously i, I liked burger a little bit more because it's a little bit more condensed a bit more packed it kind of was a good mix maybe or maybe a good in between from like a meat liquor burger which is what we got here in the in london right these kind of like chains these like independent chains that do really cool interesting things with burgers um and they used to have this thing called the meat wagon before that we used to go to a burger wagon i forgot what it was called doesn't matter but I feel like Burgermeister was a good medium between meat liquor and Shake Shack. It was a good kind of in-between. But now that I've gone there recently and I had a burger, I had a cheeseburger and I had some cheesy fries, I can definitely say number one of cheesy fries is definitely doesn't hit the same because, you know, now that they have the cheesy fries, maybe it was always a thing, but now they have, they have their specific um, recipe of cheese, like melted cheese that they make in these little tubs that they give you. Um, if you order cheesy fries, you can basically dip your fries in or you can pour it on the top of itself. But I did prefer it when they just poured it on themselves, right, in the actual kitchen itself, which is obviously annoying. You don't do that, so you kind of pour it. You have to stick it in there. But I guess sometimes maybe the way they put the cheese, maybe it's not heated properly. When I got mine, it kind of looked more like custard. It wasn't actually that melty. It was kind of curded up and I had to kind of stir it a little bit to kind of get a bit more of a runny consistency. But it was a little, it just, you know, it wasn't what you'd describe in your head as cheesy fries. It just felt more like custard friesy sort of vibe. So that was disappointing. Then the burger itself, I thought, was a big, big, big letdown and kind of wasn't necessarily worth the, the paper, you know, the, the money I kind of paid for it. I think I went to, which one I went to? I went to this one, yeah? I went to the one in Washer, obviously, because that's the one next to um, the Soundflower Hostel. So that was pretty decent. But unfortunately, the burger itself wasn't that great. The meat was a bit not a bit average. The bread, I thought, wasn't that awesome either. Just as a, a full package in the mouth, it kind of was a bit of a letdown. And I'm wondering, actually, because again, yeah, this is the, this is what I remember it looking like when I used to get it, right? It actually used to look like this picture that we have here, Curse of Uber Eats, with the you know cheesy fries poured on the chips for you, the burger looking the way it does there, really tasty and really appetizing. But over time, it's kind of dipped in its sort of standards. And I'm wondering, having looked at this site, because I've just checked this out today, having looked at the site here, they have over how many locations here? If we just include everything, including the original, this is the original location that they started at, the one I seen. Um, how do you pronounce that word? Schleswig-Holstein tour and then coppers are tour the two that i'm kind of aware of they've got six seven eight nine they've got flip they've got nearly 10 outlets coming at the moment 10 outlets right and in berlin alone so maybe this is always the case like they just you know maybe over time when you do these type of things the quality of the stuff kind of gets watered down and it's not the same anymore but that was a really big letdown um that it wasn't as great but it was awesome that although that was not great uh, I do need to, actually, I, I actually post a picture, obviously, on why I had, so on the screen, so you can check out yourself, but I did end up going to this other place called Goldie's, that was so good, that I've got to take the picture, that's how good it was, I was munching on that really, really well, and that was a decent, decent, decent burger, definitely something that I'd maybe go for, alternatively, over Burger Master, but obviously, the location of it's a bit, we'll say further out, but you have to kind of, you know, it's a bit of a destination to go to, and it's not near any of the clubs, so you probably won't have any other reason to go there, apart from going for the burger, or maybe going to do some sightseeing, and maybe going around and taking some pictures and whatnot, so um, that might maybe put you off but I do recommend checking out Goldie's in Berlin it definitely is a far better option in that regard even the cheesy fries were better than what I had over there at Burgermeister that was the only letdown but apart from that I had absolutely splendid time and I can't wait to go back again but if I do go back I think as I said previously I think to somebody else that I think I may just start doing the 
Saturday to Monday or Tuesday type of lineup or so, sort of trip instead of taking a Friday. The Friday isn't really worth anything unless you're going for a specific night. I'm not really not really bothering of going on a Friday anymore. I'm just going to stick to the Saturday um, and then kind of head out, you know, from that Saturday onwards to different sort of places. So I'm definitely looking forward for that trip coming up. And the next thing to talk about, of course, is Man United's 2-0 win against Newcastle in the Carabao Cup final. Um, obviously, some days have now passed since the final has happened, so I'm just not going to cover much of the game because I'm thinking most people have seen the game and my insights on it aren't going to be that illuminating. But one thing I can say about this is that it's definitely put a smile back on my face and definitely made me feel more positive about the future going forward. I think I was one of the fans who clearly said that I could never see Man United winning a major trophy again unless, A, we got rid of the Glazers and installed new and got new owners who basically installed an actual football structure and hired the best in class in every position um, of the club to basically get us back to former glories. Or two, if we were able to stumble upon a manager who was in Sir Alex Ferguson's quality or class where he was able to get, where he was able to win win trophies in spite of who we're owned by not because of what we're owned by not because of who we're owned by kind of thing and i think what we've got at the moment especially with the news of the Glazers selling is we've got Ericsson Hag who kind of maybe is the closest we've had to an actual legit manager who can maybe get something out of this team even if he's given blunt tools to use because you have to remember in January transfer window when we were crying out for players when Ericsson is out long term before that Donny van der Beek is out for the entire season and we are lacking in striker options with Ronaldo you know getting unceremoniously having his contract terminated we needed quite a few players to come in and all basically Ericsson Hogg was given was um, Wet Red Horse and obviously flipping um, Marcel Sabitzer one player that people were saying was surplus requirements at Bayern Munich and Sabitzer and a person that people refer to in flipping Wet Horse as being the Dutch Peter Crouch so two players that you wouldn't necessarily say should be setting the world on light in terms of when they come to United but somehow or the other he seems to have done it Ericsson Hogg does this all the time he seems to be able to get the best out of these players even the ones that we kind of lose faith in a prime example being the Luke Shaw's and Aaron Wambasaka Luke Shaw's cross in that kind of gave Casemiro's goal and kind of gave us the opening goal for the game was amazing I've not I don't remember the last time Luke Shaw put in a ball like that especially dead ball into the box of that quality it was a kind of cross or the kind of free kick into the box that any bit of contact that's on target is going to go in that's how that's how great the cross was into the box so you know he's been able to revive Luke Shaw's career Aaron Bissaka that second half performance as he come up from Dallow because he had a yellow card was amazing might be one of the best second half performances I've ever seen in a United shirt he clearly looked like he had a point to prove and he went to remind the manager that he was also a viable option to play to play in that position going forward especially if maybe Dalla was kind of suffering from a bit of ill form and whatnot and just in general the resurrection job he's done with Marcus Rashford has been sensational the confidence that he has now playing football you can just see it's kind of oozing out of him even though he's tired still I still think he's a little bit more fatigued than what he's letting it on to be he has a true professional he's kind of keeping those cars close to his chest but you can see the confidence in him in his play because last season he wasn't doing what he did in a run up to his goal where he kind of jumped up in the air and kind of flicked it up mid-air I think to Casemiro or to I think to Wet Regos I think it might have been too got the ball back again in the box and then finished his left foot with a deflection off of flipping Sven Botman you wouldn't see that approach play from him beforehand but you can definitely see the confidence is oozing out of him whether he's playing through the middle on the right on the left he's definitely definitely doing his job in that regard so the good thing is that it kind of gives United fan optimism and also what it does I think this trophy the Carabao Cup it's only the League Cup it's not the FA Cup or Champions League or anything or the Premier League what it does do is that it kind of is a 
it's sort of like a no, it's a it's like a proof of concept or like sort of it valid it, it validates what Eton is trying to do. It kind of gives him a little bit more leeway because he's already got a lot of leeway because of how he played, how he transformed, you know, the the unity, the teamwork, the team defending, the shape, how we attacking. That's what made you know Ayrton Hag you know basically pushing for the board to terminate Ronaldo's contract why that made it a lot more bearable and why the fans were able to kind of just agree and you know and just you know wiped it kind of wiped their hands free of Ronaldo was because of how good of a job he did prior to that in kind of you know restoring the harmony in the dressing room and making the fans kind of love the players again that kind of worked hand in hand and I think with this work this cup win it also gives him a bit of leeway because he necessarily wasn't given the precise tools or the quality of tools that he would need in order to kind of really mount a serious challenge going forward on all fronts so I think that's a great thing we'll see going forward and I also liked as well at the end of the game how the fans in the stadium at Wembley were chanting Glazers out even though I think Avram Grant was there to kind of you know lap up the flipping glory of United winning this trophy and act like he contributed anything meaningful to it he was there also but the fans were reminding the owners that they want nothing to do with them so the moment the owners sell hopefully to a Qatari based consortium we're going to come in and rip you know this club up to pieces and kind of do a real root and them um, analysis and get rid of all the dead wood and just replace them with absolute lethal killers in every single division we're definitely going to be on our way up going forward but I'm not going to get too excited and too giddy about it but it definitely was something that I was happy to see that we definitely did um, essentially control a cup final against a tricky cup opposition in terms of Newcastle I think if they had better quality up front if they maybe had more control of the midfield you know, I thought Bruno Gimenez really impressed me in his play I thought Isaac, when he came on, he impressed me also, even though I think he's still, you know, overpriced that 70-odd million euros or whatever he was paid for. They've got some good ingredients out there. How, you know, Eddie Howe's got the best out of Joe Linton playing in midfield has been pretty amazing to see also. But I feel like the way that we controlled the game, the way that we kind of killed the game with those two quick fire goals back-to-back in the 30th minute, I think 33 and 39 here in the first half, that definitely gave us a platform to basically mount and continue the challenge going forward. So I was definitely, definitely happy about that. And I can't wait to see what Ericsson Hard does going forward with this club and is able to transform it but the one thing that i wasn't too pleased about i have to be honest was this absolute bullcrap right regarding um phil jones and him basically doing the analysis or punditry work for sky sports during the what during the flipping Carabao cup final and if you're not mis- if you if you aren't aware phil jones is currently a registered man united player um he essentially has been iced out by Ten Hag for a very long time um even before that he was iced out too by the previous managers and if i'm not mistaken he's only played like something like i don't know 32 or 31 games in the last five or three years or something obscene in record but he's also shown no willingness to leave so i know he says he injury issues and whatnot that have kind of affected him in terms of getting a run in the club but clearly no manager has really kind of put their faith in him um, in terms of selecting him for the first team he's clearly on anybody's plans but he's made no image you, know, you hear no, you hear nothing from his agent shopping him around or him pushing for a move he's just essentially just been stood there at United getting paid 70 odd grand which unfortunately was something that uh, you know one of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's parting gifts to us at United that he gave that guy a flipping new contract even even though he was legs would make that jelly from back then and he clearly was also surplus to requirements so i just thought it was really rich 
that he was able to do that as a Sky Pundit because I think it's definitely a privilege of the English. I think if Phil Jones was black, if he was Mediterranean, if he was anything else other than English, he'd be getting ripped to pieces if he was a registered Man United player but he was doing punditry work for them while also collecting 75 grand, whatever it is, without doing anything much else on the pitch. But anyway, the article says as follows. Phil, Phil Jones claims that he's not giving up on playing professional football despite being frozen out of Man United for a number of years. Imagine being frozen out by a club and still just waiting around for an option to come out of nowhere crazy the former England defender took a surprising planetary role at Saturday's Carabao Cup final between the Red Devils and Newcastle promoting sorry prompting speculation that he may be planning to hang up his boot too good um, Jones was snapped up by the iconic ex-United manager Sir Alex Ferguson after the breaking as a teenager of Blackburn Rovers the president-born centre-back was a regular feature during the first eight seasons of Royal Trafford but things have tailed off dramatically since a series of crippling knee injuries have limited Jones to just six league appearances in the past four years even worse than I remembered six Premier League so maybe he's got 32 in total but he's got six Premier League appearances in four seasons how can't how, why can't we terminate his contract by the way is it really that hard if you can terminate Ronaldo's why can't we terminate his he has yet to feature United in any competitive match this campaign United's growing haul of established defensive stars means that he was being well known that he no he's that okay again He's yet to feature for United in any competitive match this campaign. United's growing hall of established defensive stars means he would be well down the pecking order regardless. Rafael Varane and Sandra Martinez started there. We know that. Um, Jones appeared on Sky Sports Studio to cover the match as a pundit, watching on as his teammates celebrate the triumph. Despite a devastating lack of football in the recent years, a 31-year-old asserted that he is not ready to give up just yet. Mate, you probably should give up. If you're still at the club now, you probably should be giving up because you've shown no inkling that you want to actually play football. It's been a long road. There's no hiding from that at times physically and mentally oh he's trying to do that whole mental health thing man. maybe there is a mental health issue but if that's the case leave the club go and get something new freshen up or something i'm a strong character and i love playing football i'm doing everything i can to get back on the pitch no you aren't um it continues here uh when you when when you've had all the issues injury wise you've had it's hard to deal with that the club have been absolutely fantastic with me i think i've had a good support around me from my family and friends i'm grateful of that and i can want to back outside so maybe there is a clear issue maybe this is more so not uh, not him not wanting to be out of the club but maybe maybe he's actually is suffering from some sort of mental health issues and the club being aware of that is giving him all the time that he needs to get himself right before he goes to look for the club so he's not actually pressuring him to go which is actually pretty decent of the club to do. But I still think there was plenty of time before that he could have left. I don't think these issues have been happening since he started the club. I think, you know, he could have left way, way before that, but he didn't for whatever reason. And of course, I don't blame the guy. You know, if you're getting paid 75 grand a year to essentially just train, then, you know, anyone would basically do that. Jones banked 27 England caps early in his career and was strong enough performing the time to earn a four-year contract with the Devils, which he signed in 2019. Oli Gunnar thought the deal is poised to expire at the end of the season with little chance of renewal. It remains to be seen with Eric Manager to now give the opportunity to bid with farewell to United fans. Jones would be liberty to leave on a free transfer in the summer, but a checkered injury history could make him a serious gamble. The defender last played to the Red Devils in a free win, 3-0 win over Brentford in May of last year. Last time he played football was May, May of last year. Absolute liberty take that. This guy's still at the club. Makes absolutely no sense. Like I said, if he was any other, if he was from any other country, 
he'd be getting absolutely slaughtered. Whether his mental health issues were legit or not, it just goes to show the flipping English privilege does definitely exist in this regard. It fucking does exist. But that's the only thing that kind of annoyed me at the game itself. But apart from that, happy United won the Carabao Cup final against Newcastle. It was absolutely strenuous um, at times, but I feel like we were in control for the majority of that game. And if anything, we just kind of asserted ourselves on that game, kind of put the game to bed after those two quick fire goals, one from Casemiro and one that's correctly been correctly been awarded to Rashford even though it hit um, Sven Botman I know some people are saying that it was off target but it looked on target to me before it hit his foot if anything it just hit Sven Botman's foot and kind of looped over Karius and Karius also I thought did pretty well considering he hasn't played in many many years um, he did really well in goal um, I don't think he can be blamed for the first goal maybe some would say Nick Pope would have saved the first because second sorry from Casemiro because it was kind of a shot at him at a tight angle players or goalkeepers are on form that playing every week maybe have more you know ability to kind of understand to kind of maybe stay on their feet as long as possible and wait or just maybe there's just an ability intrinsically with these young keepers to be able to save those kind of shots who knows but either way I thought he did really well I, I thought Karras did really well and didn't kind of you know and definitely kind of essentially put himself back out there in the shop market for other clubs if they do want to end up signing him so Next on list here, let's talk about this interview featuring Demna on Vogue. So I said recently, um, a while back, that I think that my original thoughts around the whole Vogue control, so around the whole Blenchard controversy with the teddy bears and the other photo shoot they did with the sketchy court documents or legislation, whatever it was, on the table, I was of the thinking that. Demna's job was never in risk because of the amount of value he brought to caring, the amount of value he brought to Balenciaga, the amount of cultural relevancy he injected back into that brand, and just his real underrated, I think, ability to make clothes. Like, you look at the Vetemont era of Demna, which I think is my favorite part of his essential career, unless you also include the first couple of seasons he did at Balenciaga, but essentially, that epic period of Demna was that Vetemont, was that flipping Vetemont. You can see that this guy is a real kind of surgeon when it comes to clothes and reconstructing like he knows what he's doing when it comes to pattern cutting and whatnot and definitely is a master in that regard so i think that's what really elevated him next level and obviously the cuts and the silhouettes of course that you think of ben shogun is kind of adapting all this big boxy fit that's also quite tailored and chic in his own way was to me sublime so i thought all those things and more brand collaborations all those things as well creating desirable products you know making it an enviable brand just didn't make sense to me why hard-nosed experienced veterans in business at caring regardless of what sector they're in will sit there and say we need to fire him and kowtow to like kind of public pressure to get rid of him for you know doing a racy advert right or doing a sorry not racy a controversial and you know advert that a lot of people probably didn't like because of, of its feature of kids which is understandable but i think if you're a businessman you're definitely going to zoom out a little bit and think hey we can weather the storm and also if we just if we use this opportunity to also rein the guy in and tell him hey this kind of free reign that you had to do what you want and kind of have no kind of guidelines or rules now stops here and also focus on the close i think that was always the plan that they had and looking at this interview and read some of the excerpts it definitely appears to be the case so this is an interview because you vogue British Vogue, sorry. So Vogue.co.uk. This is Demna on the record. The Blinchaka designer on the brand's controversy and his path forward. So if we scroll down, we'll see a few of the bits of where he's, he's questioned and kind of interviewed. And I think one of the things that I really like here is the answer to this. Uh, so this is a, this is one. This question from Vogue. It says as following. The two campaigns that appeared towards the end of last year, Gift Shop and Spring 2023, which appeared within days of each other, sparked a crisis for you in Balenciaga. What was the genesis of this campaign and what was the creative process and intent? What conversations were happening around it? 
Um, you'll see he explains what happened around them in terms of the photo shoot and whatnot. You can definitely check that out here. Then it says as follows. The spring 2023 campaign was directly inspired by the show that we did last year in Wall Street in New York City. I went to shoot in the typical New York corporate setting, emphasizing the idea of power dressing, basically shooting and CEO style office. I saw the example of how the offices could look and approved what type of furniture they would use and what kind of poses the models would do. Since I'm never in the shoots and the images were presented to me to select the photos, I like most out of the selection made by the photographer i always find these insights really interesting when people get cancelled or get in trouble that they kind of absolve themselves of blame and say no i don't even do all the work it's that guy over there because if anything it kind of does a it kind of does several jobs at the same time it kind of exposes the smoke and mirrors of the industry where they sort of lionize the one singular genius person behind a brand and it's actually a team of people behind working they obviously demystify that whoever is at the top actual influence and touch on every single thing because then he says hey i just kind of organize the key components but the extra creative side and the sidelines or the fluff or the extra things to fill in that's not when people are on the set themselves because i'm not actually there that definitely does something where they expose it continues here the gift shot campaign was completely unrelated to the spring 2023 campaign they were shot in a different time one in october and the other one in july the campaign was also made to promote learn of objects in relation to the end of the year holidays it was a large variety of unrelated products which required a concept in which many different products could be shot together kidsware was part of the selection for the gift shop as well as the plush teddy bears and referencing punk culture and diy um absolutely not bdsm and they were worn by adidas in october 2020 so she's pointing the finger at everybody rappers this person she saw that buying this mad based on this the image team proposed the photographer the photographer sorry for this campaign because early in the year they presented his work to me and i liked the composition of his pictures and it added a folder to potential talents to work with one day because the photography's work um often included a multitude of toys placed around the room with kids in the middle of it we thought it would be a ideal and variety of products from the gift shop of the assortment into each picture because you know we can't make 1000 images sorry 100 images for all of these different products the, this is where our error comes in it was a big mistake again this is stuff that could have been said in the beginning that would have i think killed all the fur and the sort of like backlash that they faced i think them basically closing down the instagram deleting all the comments and basically turning into one post advertisement for the longest time of that christopher balenciaga show couture show where a lot of models are walking around elegantly and stuff and showing off their wares that could have been done that could have been killed easily but again he didn't do it so what can you do it continues there. It says, I didn't realize how inappropriate it would be to put those objects in the image. <laughs> it's probably worse if you say things like that because it makes you look even worse like an animal. It says, and still have the guy, and I still have the kid in the middle. Yeah, unfortunately, it was the wrong idea and a bad decision from me. We would not have featured kids in images that included objects, objects that were not related to and appropriate to them. Nowhere, sorry, no one, myself included, raised a question of it being inappropriate. Those were extreme processes um, in place, people involved internally and external but we just need to spot what was problematic this was an error of judgment i regret this a lot we learned from this now and there was going to be closer more active checks and for this i want to say sorry i sincerely apologize for what's happened to anyone who has been hurt by it so this is a far more sincere apology than anything he basically read before he sorry um he wrote before one other thing i really thought was interesting regarding this was clearly this idea that I had before that Blanchard used the opportunity to kind of rein him in and get him under control because he was being a little bit too provocative, quote unquote, and trying to push buttons for the sake of putting brushing. So I want to see here where he speaks about going back to Zurich and basically designing clothes again because I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, let me see if I can find it here. 
So there's this really interesting bit also that I quickly went to mention as well that I thought can give you a bit of an insight into what we should expect from the show coming up. I think it's March 5th, um, the new Balenciaga show that will be debuting obviously in Paris Fashion Week. And it's this answer here that Demler gave to Vogue sent in terms of what he is going to be doing going forward under his role. And I think this definitely goes to show that my theory that the Balenciaga or the caring head honchos definitely uses the opportunity, this scandal, to essentially rein Demner in and kind of get him under some sort of manners so that he's not making a spectacle or causing issues for their brand and essentially just going back to what he actually was hired for which was kind of having his finger on the pulse being able to kind of synthesize the cultural zeitgeist and obviously the most important thing just make really really good clothes because i think that definitely does get overlooked with all the kind of provocation and the glitz and the not glitz and glamour but just this, the spectacle that he creates around the clothes and the constant poking and the fun making and whatnot and the conversations around in the think pieces and the show studio panel discussions what gets lost around that is that guy can definitely still design and you look at Vetemar era of Demna and it's all flipping amazing so for me this answer definitely is really telling so this is courtesy of Vogue it says here the question how is Ben Shiaga responding to all that's happened what initiatives are you taking guard are you taking to guard against imagery that could be deemed inappropriate how are you going to go forward so it says this it starts with reconstructing the image in the department establishing new rules and checks and validations that go through multiple channels internal and external for image to be checked and approved this is now a new image board which involves different sensibilities before it's released the board will give their opinion about an image <laughs> sensibilities mean different people different races right um from different places and whatnot i just find that hilarious that you need to put together a board to basically decide whether or not you should be pushing you know pedophilic type images it's absolutely crazy in my opinion but hey what do i know it continues from my personal point of view as a creative director i would have to question absolutely everything now i really changes my way of working which has previously been more in instinctive doing something that would seem to be maybe provocative just because i was thinking oh that's fun this is part of my learning i will have a more mature and serious approach to everything that i release as an idea and image i decided to go back to my roots in fashion as well as the roots of balenciaga which is making quality clothes not making image or buzz so essentially no more shit posting designs no more poking fun at the fashion glitterati and uh, you know media class and whatnot and the brands and the gatekeepers which i kind of hate because i love all that stuff that he did especially during the bevetsma era that he was in but this does make a lot more sense and definitely goes back to what I said before that Balenciaga head honchos reigned the guy in. Next paragraph. Learning from the mistakes also includes educating ourselves on the issues and contributing to the actual cause. We are partnering with a non-profit organization called the National Children's Alliance for the multiple-year partnership, which I find absolutely amazing because it will help thousands of kids in the process of overcoming trauma and dealing with their mental health. It's one thing that makes me happy about this whole horrible situation to do something good about it. The funny thing is, is that the more quality clothes them the designs under the banner of Balenciaga the more popular kids want the more it becomes popular and the more kids want to wear them the ones that can't afford them are going to be suffering from mental health issues because they can't afford Balenciaga so essentially you're going to be creating issues for these kids in the long term then if you decide to put them on a runway put makeup on them and put them in cute clothes people are going to be saying that you're objectifying or sexualizing these kids by having them walk on an adult runway so I don't know how they're going to you know incorporate this kiddie approach to looking 
looking after child well-being both physically and mentally without it coming across really tacky and really kind of cheesy but i guess you have to or no tacky cheesy and kind of like tone deaf but i guess in their position they've got to be seen to be doing something going forward but i do like i do like the most important part here was obviously this paragraph talking about how them is going to be focusing on the clothes and the clothes alone and nothing else and you can kind of get an idea of that if you scan over across to this um demna balenciaga's fan page which i love called demnagram and they posted what looks like the invitation or flyer for the up-and-coming show which happening on march 5th for the winter 23 collection for balenciaga and guess what it, it looks like it looks like the basis of what you do when you're patting cutting a, a jacket right I, I forgot what the material is called but essentially it's the one that you use to basically put on the markings on and kind of uses a certain base template to kind of mark in terms of building your coat or your jacket that you want to put forward and this clearly shows to me an illustration of a kind of return back to tailoring a return back to making actual core interesting products again and focusing on the clothes and that's a glitz and glamour so we might not see any celebrities not run away it might be more couture-esque in its approach it pared down simple focusing on what is important and kind of go that direction but i'm eager to see the show regardless it'll be fine to see how the people in the media and the celebrities and whatnot react to it because a lot of them were you know getting on their moral high horse and condemning blenshug and saying they're not wearing that stuff anymore but the moment he pots out on the runway and a successor to the triple s's and another cool pairs of track twos or whatnot out on a runway the moment he puts together some great because i think he even says in an interview that he's going to go back to doing great jackets because that's what christopher balenciaga was kind of known for right amazing jackets amazing coats and and i imagine demna also in my opinion is known for making really good thing hoodies and also amazing you know twist on kind of conventional mounting jackets or you know rain jackets anorak security ma1s bomber jackets in general he's a kind of master of that shit so i can definitely see some good things on the horizon for blenciaga when he finally does take the runway on march 5th which i'm definitely going to try and live stream as well if i'm here i'm definitely going to try and live stream that because that's going to be fun to check out and see what's happening with that going forward then i'm going to mention this before i jump onto the other things regarding fashion overall just kind of kind of close the gap on this so the gucci fall 2023 um show happened and if you're not aware already um alessandro michele got you know unceremoniously i feel like booted from the company um, he didn't really get a send-off which i thought was really weird he didn't get the opportunity to kind of trot down the runway one last moment and receive his literal and you know his literal flowers and kind of wave goodbye to the crowd after all the amazing work he's done at gucci in such a short space of time even if all of it wasn't his um wasn't his uh, doing he still did a really good job in his time in terms of creating a cultural moment um you know in terms of turning gucci into a big powerhouse again uh, and just kind of restoring the feeling around it overall but for every reason they went to part ways maybe the sales were dipping maybe you know gucci board basically saw what i saw maybe it was getting a bit repetitive in terms of the design codes and taste sensibilities and whatnot that kind of kitschy sort of vibe was kind of running its course very quickly but i still think he deserves a send-off he doesn't get a send-off okay no problem then gucci said we're going to be designing our collections going forward with the gucci team or studio similar to what like off-white we're doing when unfortunately Virgil passed away and similar to what Louis Vuitton did when also Virgil passed away so that kind of made a lot more sense because you know those type of guys work with a team of people anyway so it would make sense that they would have an idea of how to put together a collection because they work together in collaboration so it recently got announced that they also had hired a new creative director called Sabato Desano I think he spent the first few couple of days or before when he got hired going through his Instagram and deleting everything sketchy because his Instagram went private pretty quickly after he got announced 
out, which is a really good tactic to make sure no one kind of finds all your sketchy, racy posts that you may have uploaded back in the day. So that was very smart of him to do so. But he's only going to be presenting his first show, as it says here, for the spring 2024 collection. So this one was still made by the Gucci studio. What I wanted to say about this was that, I just mentioned earlier about the Demna thing at Balenciaga. I find it really annoying how, for whatever reason, fashion in general, media companies or everyone around it, they always basically um, lionize and kind of pop up on a pedestal the singular design genius or fashion designer genius. There's always one person's vision that kind of spearheads everything going forward or, make, or they basically make it seem as if that person sketched every single look that came down that runway. Maybe they didn't stitch it but they're the one that ideated it. They brought it out into, into life out of thin air themselves with no help whatsoever from the earrings to the bags to the shoes to the everything they're wearing to even the flipping hair and makeup. They did it all themselves out of their head which I think is absolutely ridiculous. And clearly Clearly, we've seen this to be the case because even though I didn't like the first Gucci Studio collection, they did post Alessandro Michele being fired or him leaving. I think this second one is definitely a lot better and also shows clearly that these design studios are usually run by some really competent, high-level, talented people who know what they're doing, who can easily put together a solid collection that you, if you weren't really paying attention and you weren't as balls deep into fashion as I was or other people are, you wouldn't be able to tell that this house or this brand doesn't have a lead creative designer or a lead creative um you know or a lead fashion designer or a lead whatever else it may be this has all been done by some sort of committee of people coming together and designing and putting it together there's no one you know lionized um you know go greatest person there standing you know on the cover of flipping id magazine no this is all done with collaborative effort so clearly there are more people more cogs in the machine that kind of are responsible for getting these things down the runway and i remember thinking the same thing when I was kind of praising and being all giddy about Hedy Samane, which I've obviously still, I'm a big fan of his, but during his time at Flipping St. Laurent, there's so many amazing pieces that, pieces that come down the runway. It made me think like, did this guy legitimately design the Wyatt boot? Because if he did design a Wyatt boot, he might be one of the best footwear designers in the world because he essentially reinvented the boot that already exists in terms of the harness boot, in terms of a Chelsea boot, and basically luxed it up to a level that loads of brands essentially use the SLP, the St. Laurent Paris Wyatt boot as their platform, as their kind of template for how they build their Chelsea boots going forward. So the fact that he was able to do that is amazing. But I'm pretty sure somebody else was responsible for designing that boot. It was sure it wasn't Hedy Samane sitting down and putting the, the flipping boot together. If it was, he's a genius. But for the most part, you'd imagine it's done in collaboration with a team. The same thing goes with the flipping Demna um, design Balenciaga triple S's. That original triple S design, did Demna do it himself? Or was that something that was done in collaboration with others in the studio? And I would love it if fashion people would do that more and highlight them. So imagine if you're watching uh, a coach show. Oh, that's not a good example. Imagine you're watching a Celine show for when, you know, or Phoebe Fowler show when she puts out a new collection hopefully soon and people recognize bags that they really like it would be nice if we could actually know without being there without maybe being balls deep into fashion or knowing people behind the scenes it'd be nice if the common person could know oh this was designed by somebody that that they made this they made this bag they designed this necklace that'd be pretty cool to see so that you can give people that are responsible for those things all the props that they need and it also if you would hope maybe would inspire the next generation of kids to be like hey i don't have to be alexander mcqueen I don't have to be Kiko. I don't have to be Molly Goddard. I can just be like a person that works as part of a design team and still be able to be put, you know, still be responsible or partly responsible for bringing together some cool looks or design pieces and kind of have them go down the runway. That's still fairly decent because you'd imagine that lead creative person that kind of does everything on their own 
you know that they're kind of rare you know what i mean it's kind of kind of hard to hard to hard to come by in that regard so maybe this is maybe a good approach to go by but i do like the entire collection i think it was done really well very solid and again like i said i don't think you could be able to tell that this is designed with no real lead person in charge or putting it all together it was all done by basically a committee collected together as you can see here this is the whole group there standing and taking the applause that they well and truly deserve so big up gucci um, for their collection and putting that together that was absolutely amazing and i enjoyed it as a spectacle i enjoyed it as a spectacle next one this on here let's talk about this so this is courtesy of mix mag it says new york's first nightlife mayor is stepping down after five years and i want to know if the new york mayor can step down nightlife mayor so he can step down um ariel pallets um godspeed ariel pallets why can't Amy Lamy step down? What do we have to do to get rid of Amy Lamy? How much longer do Londoners have to fucking suffer under scourge, the inactivity, the cluelessness of this, you know, crappy nightlife flipping Zard that's done absolutely nothing to kind of hold nightlife together in the UK or in London specifically? How do we get rid of her? Is it just a, is it just the basis of getting rid of Sadiq Khan and she goes with him, or has she essentially got a job for life in government, being a London night star? Because I think that job should definitely have a minimum term. No, she have a maximum term time that you could be in it because nightlife changes on a constant basis. Um, the laws around it, what no, she has somebody in there that maybe it maybe it's a, a two year job that you can kind of ha have to be voted in for again and couldn't get voted in maybe twice and some of us knew had to come in fresh ideas that they can kind of push forward um and kind of maybe restore whatever feeling is going on and obviously help to mend um the nightlife economy which is i imagine in most countries suffering some regards because not as many people out as it was before in the past but hey what do i know let's go to the article New York City's first um, nightlife mayor has announced that she will be stepping down after five years. Ariel Pallets was assigned to New York's office of nightlife in 2018, a year after the role was announced and has been sorry, and has seen her work through the pandemic, as well as the schemes to end the harmful practices within nightlife in the city. Stepping down from the role, she explains that she will continue supporting and fighting for nightlife industry and community, she tells Time Out. Pallets was officially end her term in April, but for now, the office of nightlife will be searching for a replacement. Why can't we do the same thing in London? Can't we search a replacement for Amy Lammy. It has to be just anybody. I don't care who they are, but just there must be somebody out there that can do that job better than what she's doing and actually advocate for the nightlife industry and actually help to kind of hold and kind of preserve whatever clubs that we have left here because it's an absolute bloodbath out here in London. But hey, what do I know? It continues. I was chosen to help establish this brand new office, build a foundation, infrastructure, and define what the office was intended to do, said Palace. After navigating it through the pandemic and two administrations, I felt it was important to pass the torch and ensure the existence of the Office of Nightlife carries in a way of it's not really just dependent on me. I love this term, the Office of Nightlife. I definitely wear that on a jacket on a t-shirt right for sure um it continues the job posting according to timeout is looking for someone to monitor trends issues violations issued to nightlife and establishments oversee the production of an annual report represent the office at various industry events and assist nightlife businesses with permitting licensing and other government navigations the proposed annual salary ranges between 72,000 and 136 which is I think a decent enough salary, but I imagine living in New York, probably not the best. Um, requirements to those applying to be a bachelorette degree and three years full-time experience of nature have qualified for duties responsible for the position. The replacement will take over post positions such as nightlife industry training and the school of meditating, uh, sorry, mediating establishment and neighborhood di di disputes. We definitely need this. 
there's we definitely need a mend in London, mate, because the amount of people that come in from outside of London live next to right next to nightclubs and complain about the noise is sky high. But yeah, big up um big up what's her name? Aerial Pellets. Um Godspeed on your journey. But let's get rid of, let's get fucking Amy Lammy out of here because she's doing a terrible job. She's wasting all of our time and she's been here long enough. Next one is going to, uh, no, no, let's, uh, let's speak about that one. Um, then we want to move on to this one, actually. Sam Sad News here, courtesy of RA. Renee, Italian DJ and Circo Loco resident, dies at 47. I don't know much about Renee. Um, I'm familiar with Circo Loco and I just wanted to give him a shout out. So RIP to Renee and anyone that knows him. This is really, really tragic. 47 years old is no way to pass away, especially from heart complications. It's absolutely horrifying. So courtesy of um, RA, it says, Renato, I be for DJ Renato Jimenez. Many, aka Renee, has died aged 47. The news announced yesterday, February 26, by Corrie della Sera, the Italian artist, passed away at Rome Tor Vergata Hospital due to heart complications caused by a congenital malformation. It could initially be living with his childhood. Okay, so he had a general issue with his heart anyway, and that obviously led to him unfortunately passing away. Oh my god, man. Horrible. So it was always a kind of a ticking time when I'd imagine. Imagine what that must be like to live with day to day. Knowing that you have this con, con how, how, how they call it? What's the name for it? Knowing that you have this um, congenital malformation, right? This condition that basically means that your heart is a ticking time bomb, and at any time, whether you're doing the most strenuous thing or the most mundane thing, your time could come. How much that be? Maybe you approach things with like a laser focus, and you don't really bother by the smallest of things, or maybe you get a bit macabre and a bit sad. I don't really know, but this is really tragic, man. But R.I.P. Renee. It says, born in the late seventies, Renee took up DJing as a teenager after moving to the town of Riccioni. Sorry, if I say Riccioni on the Adriatic coast. He played regularly at clubs in the area such as Peter Pan, Tetila, and Corica and Cocorico before taking up a residency at Cantato in Bologna. After moving to Ibiza in 2000, he was asked to play at Circo Loco and then, and then a Nasiat um, club night, a newly opened super club at DC10. He went on to then become a long-standing resident, helping Circo Loco become one of the island's most beloved parties. Oh, Circo Loco started as a club night. Rotted. Imagine that. And now it's more than a club night really um obviously they posted a tribute to him here circo loco posted it said as follows we are shocked by the news of sudden passing of dj renee a friend a brave man and a great dj leaves us the whole circle of family wishes to express the deepest condolences and closeness um to his family and loved ones renee we will miss you hopefully they do the right thing and also kind of cover his flipping you know costs and whatnot in terms of the funeral and whatnot but i'm sure that community over there will handle it but yeah r.i.p to renee um absolutely tragic the way he passed away and again 47 is no age to flipping go at all in the slightest as you can see here some tributes here from a person called Cirillo another one from System of Survival and obviously from DT10 I'd be for shouting at Renee so RIP Renee um, thoughts and feelings go to his family and friends and I hope you guys are going to be staying strong in the foreseeable future because that is absolutely tragic absolutely tragic Moving on, we have this, which I thought was interesting. So it's this courtesy of RA again regarding a new members-only DJ production studio opening up in East London. So many things opening up in East London over the last few years. Absolutely crazy to keep a, a lid or a kind of an eye on all these things. Absolutely amazing. So it says here, Cube East will launch in Canary Wharf on this Friday. Calling Canary Wharf East London is kind of like calling Liverpool Street Central London. You know, bit of a stretch, but hey, we continue. New members only studio Cube East is opening in East London this week. Located in Canary Wharf, the 10,000 square foot 
space will launch on friday february the 24th it features 15 recording studios three dj studios two rehearsal studios a podcast studio a video editing suite and an all-in-one content creating suite cube east will also offer a 24 7 members bar and an outdoor terrace membership ranges from 75 pound per month to 100 and 1100 per month imagine that so essentially they built a members-only version of Pirate Studios with an actual legit bar that you can drink at. 24-7, 24-7, private members bar. That's crazy. I don't think they mean it every day. To open. I don't think that's what they mean, maybe for the weekend only. But the fact that they've got like a bar on the inside is going to turn that into one of the best after-hour spots ever in the history of man. Um, we've got a promotional video here. We're going to quickly play a of Instagram and see what this says. Free of London. Side of it, cool. Okay, cool. You, you see that, right? Some cool images of the inside or whatnot. Um, some eerie music going forward. Um, I quite like this. I'm, I'm not too mad at it. The only thing I would say about QBs is that, from what I have observed of my own habits of going to flipping pirate studios, that's kind of died down over time. Has been the fact of the money right the cost of it is really crazy now like pirate studios my kind of minimum time that i'd go there would be like three hours and it went from me paying anywhere between like i don't know the initial times that i might have went to pirate if i just double check my thing it might have been maybe like 30 pounds or something i would say the original times that i kind of went to pirate for three hours because i don't think i've ever done a set you know look shorter than two hours right it's been around that kind of mark two hours plus going forward so if i scan just to kind of let's let's scan to maybe Let's go into 20, 2020, 2022, right? Or let's know. Let's go down to 2022, yeah. I've got here 34 pounds, 33, 23. So anywhere between 23 and 33 were the prices I paid for two to three hours. Now, all of a sudden, if I scroll right to the top for that same amount of time, it's like 49 pounds, 36 pounds. So it's gone up considerably depending on, you know, the time of whatever it may be. So that kind of makes it a bit harder to kind of justify spending that money to go and do those things, especially when you think about, you know, maybe just going to a club instead overall. But obviously, if you want to practice, you want to practice, but you've got to calculate that. Your travel there, maybe some drinks you're going to get. So it kind of racks up to be a little bit more harder than it is going forward. But one thing I do like about them, what they've done, which I think maybe would make me go to Pirate more because I think it's a it's similar to the whole like charging nine ninety nine or charging £10 for something. I think the fact that they've got these memberships locked in, so £75 per month, which maybe let's say it's 75 grants you four hours of DJ studio time, that already is pretty decent because it kind of forces you to go to these things and maybe to top up and get more time. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a kind of a good way to kind of get people to sign up. And of course, with the idea of having a private members bar, that also might be great. And maybe also, I would imagine it would end up being like a shortage house type of thing where there'll be like communal areas to hang around in, con you know, conversate with people within your local community, collaborate with other artists and whatnot. So it'd be a kind of a bit more of a collective space as opposed to pirate which is more sort of an individual thing you know there's not a lot of places to hang around you kind of locked in your studios you kind of go in and out you got your own cookie it's not there's not a lot of talking that goes on there but i think they want to replicate maybe what you'd imagine a regular studio is like that's got a little bit more of a laid-back collaborative affair where you might accidentally walk into the wrong studio or whatnot or bump into somebody at the car park or whatnot and because it's in a canary wharf a little bit more of a snazzier upmarket um area you would hope it would attract a little bit more of an upmarket 
clientele and it wouldn't be you know dirty grungy club kids like me who are rocking up with a tesco bag full of flipping cronenbergs and whatnot right you want a bit more of an educated discerning um willing to kind of you know spend some money kind of client going to establishment which i can kind of understand in this regard so i'm really eager to see what this looks like when it does officially launch actually if we actually click the actual instagram maybe we can see some pictures of the inside and the building or whatnot but this might be pretty cool it might be something that i would definitely be up for signing up for in terms of having it be my thing that i kind of go to because i wouldn't mind paying 75 you know a month and having something locked in that i can kind of go to and go to already it looks like they already launched they've had some panel discussions already here as you can see from the pictures on here on the instagram they've got people posting stuff wherever but for me it would just be an opportunity just to kind of go somewhere record some live streams or whatnot and kind of continue on going on that way so it's interesting what happens here and also interesting to, to see what a place like flipping pirate studios does in response because this is basically their direct competition what do they do now going forward now that they've kind of seen what other companies are doing what they're trying to bring forward um will they now maybe start offering memberships themselves to their clients to their customers going forward will it be them just offering what they already have going on and not really want to change it i'm not really too sure but i'm eager to see what happens going forward i am really eager to see what happens going forward so check and check check them out if you haven't already it looks pretty cool it's called uh, we are cube um we are obviously spelled the regular way and cube spelled q u b e and obviously they've got the site as well i'm assuming going to be tagged the same location too let's quickly just check that link tree and see if that website is the same address i'm assuming it is going to be the same address so as you click here links to the website it's definitely is the same one isn't it let's see if it's the same one uh there you go yeah yeah there we go so it's the website is called thecube.com so t-h-e-q-u-b-e.com and obviously you can see everything there in terms of what it looks like you know the inside looks like what you'd expect a very snazzy members only hotel bar to look like where they'd serve you you know green tea buy the flipping pot for flipping 10 pounds or whatnot and they have great wi-fi and you can sit down there with your expensive macbook and your funny solomon sneakers and whatnot and peruse beatport and steal loads of tracks and convert them from youtube you know videos to mp3 whack them on your usb stick and go and play your residence spot somewhere in the middle of brixton so definitely is a cool little look to it so definitely would recommend checking it out if you haven't already i'm definitely going to give it a shot myself when i eventually do end up getting down there very very soon but that has been the Exxon Show episode number 649. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to have your company as per usual. You're going to hear my check of the day playing as I end the show here on the outro. This is the feed. This is the actual record that I got as a track ID. Um, it's called Call Me Mr. Telephone Answering Machine. So definitely check this out. I think it's by the artist called Answering Machine. And the track title is Call Me Mr. Telephone. But just write that all in one word. Somebody will to find it. That's my track of the day. It's going to be playing out now.
Say rock this beat to the funky beat. Say rock this beat to the funky beat. 